0: Did this go in the in the outtakes or somewhere that our uh, our taxi driver in Washington, D.C. thought that you and I was so Tressa, pissed. your wife, our former chief nursing officer, our taxi driver was like, oh, is she your daughter referring to me? Which I thought was hilarious and amazing. Yeah,
1: that's nice. Um,
0: because y'all are way too young to be my parents.
1: However, well, Tressa's doing the math. She's it was like, it's possible. I'm like, she's 32. She's 32. She's 32. You would have been, yeah, like you can't. 12. I don't think you can actually no, physically she's have kids when
0: you're four. No, so yeah, she's 44. That four. I said no. no, yeah, no, yeah, but she doesn't look a day over 36. So,
1: yeah, exactly. He
0: was, I don't know what he was thinking, but um, you know, I appreciated the compliment, but then I immediately felt bad for my parents who'd just been insulted <laughs> by the taxi driver. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> oh my gosh. Okay, so here we go for real, though. All right. Yes, we should start this uh, little mini set. Hello and welcome to another mini-sode. Today, we are talking about last week's episode, so it's a little bit of Rural Health Rising um, inception, if you will, uh, because we really have been thinking a lot about the conversation that we had with Harold Miller last week, and we wanted to discuss some of that today on a mini-sode. So, I'm Rachel Lott.
1: And I'm Gigi Hotshager.
0: And this is Rural Health Rising. So JJ, I was, I will say, illuminated and invigorated by last week's episode and our conversation with Harold Miller from the Center for Healthcare Quality and Payment Reform for a couple of reasons. Um, but before I get into some of those, what was your what what it what was your initial kind of you know reaction and feeling after we had that episode with him after we had that conversation? Well,
1: well, I'm just going to tell you, um, the word that came to my mind was validated um yes. because everything that we have been talking about uh, on this podcast and advocating for in Lansing and Washington um, really was validated by third party independent uh, you mm-hmm. know it wasn't it wasn't a CEO of a rural hospital because oftentimes you know that that's what we have to talk about but it was someone right. who who has looked into the industry from a different perspective and and the word that i just use is that he has uh, in in the stroke of you know his articulate uh, write up and that he spoke to us you know he he validated everything that we've been attempting to accomplish in our conversations over the course of the last few years, including conversations with congressional leaders, state leaders, policymakers, and RHA. You name it. It all leads back to this road uh, and. Uh, what what's remarkable is that a lot of the and I don't want I'm not please understand this is not an insult by any measure but a lot of the principles he talked about were if you just analyze them they're they're common sense you know they're, right. they're it's not like he's proposing a total uh, transformation of the healthcare industry um, you know he's talking about very very simple concepts. Um, but but the underlying uh, is that you've got to understand what's going on in rural America, and I think right. you know having set that stage and then having him validate it um, to me that was uh, that was great. I mean there was an understanding of all right, so we have this problem. The the other issue was you know all right, there's some solutions.
0: Right, and what I think. For me, I you know, you call it validation and I call it validation and also a almost like a realization. To me, it was almost like an aha moment of all of these things that we've always been talking about and and everything kind of coming together in one point, because what he really emphasized that I had not really again, it's, it's common sense, but it's not what I had been focused on or had in the forefront of my mind when i'm thinking about the financial sustainability of rural hospitals even though we know it's the root cause which is what are we getting paid for patient care services that is our core competency as we take care of patients we provide health care to our patients and there are a lot of other things you know that we do um uh and and benefits that we have to our community outside of that but that is our core competency right and so if we're not getting paid what it costs us to provide our core competency, every time, you know, that we've talked about, like, well, you, we have to get creative in rural healthcare. We have to think outside the box. We have to do things differently. We have to come up with, you know, fee-for-service type of provi- um, offerings that we can provide to our community or, um, you know, where can we get grant money um, to start programs that we didn't already have and things like that. Those are good things. However, we shouldn't have to do that,
1: Rachel, to
0: be able to uh, uh, stay open. You're right. Right.
1: You're absolutely right. And that's
0: what I had never really. I mean, obviously, that's underlying the entire conversation about what well, we have to get creative. We have to do things differently. But the thought of getting creative and trying to find a way to make ourselves sustainable when the design of the way rural healthcare functions is not set up to be sustainable, that really cannot get lost in the conversation it's like the difference between we're trying to what can we do right now right in front of us what's our next best step to survive versus how do we fix the real problem how do we get to the root of the issue and the way harold and the data he put together is presented it's like oh yeah we got to make sure we don't you know take our eye off the ball mm-hmm. is it eye off the ball or eye off the prize both Both. Okay. Well, we need to make sure we don't take our eye off the ball or the prize because that is, that's the real true big issue. And we do spend a lot of time looking at all these other things because we have more control over them in the near term. But in the long term, it's like, we have to fix that problem of we're not getting paid even at 100% of the cost of what the care we provide. And by and large as a whole in rural healthcare.
1: Well, Rachel, consider this. Um, Let's just take let's take the a grocery store, all right? Yes. Um, what other industry in America can purchase a product from the supplier and sell it for a lower price than they purchased in it? what
0: you paid for it. Yeah.
1: No one can. That is not a sustainable right. model. And so we are we are getting purchase services from CMS from the government. And we are selling those services, right, at a lower reimbursement that we get for that product. Now for
0: what it cost, I mean, we're, our, our, our cost reports are based on what 2016 2016.
1: So consider you know? this, you know, to to factor in the cost of doing business with rising nurse wages, supply chain cost, you name it. It has highlighted in the last year. Um, that this system is broken because we cannot afford to provide health care in rural communities because we are not getting reimbursed at a level that can cover the cost. Now, in our personal right. lives, we know that at some point you're going to have to file bankruptcy as a household if you continue right, to do exactly.
0: that. Exactly. Or you have to
1: cut expenses by giving up maybe your second car, or you have Mm -hmm. to not go out to eat and those things. Or go
0: get another job.
1: Or you go get another job. So isn't it a shame that across America, you and I are sitting down talking about fundraisers for the hospital. Right. Fundraisers to raise money to provide baseline services for our patients in this community because the government, the payers, don't reimburse us enough to cover... The cost of doing business and providing that healthcare. So, so we're talking about, you know, it's not as it's not as ridiculous as a car wash, but it's similar. Our skilled nursing facility has a bake sale to help fund, yeah, certain to help things. fund
0: activities yeah. and and fund things for our Absolutely. residents.
1: Absolutely, yep. We have our auxiliary that that has to have three or four, you know, auctions and or. Uh, um, Fundraisers, fundraisers every year to be able to support the operations of this hospital so we can buy equipment. Mm-hmm.
0: And in mm-hmm. what
1: other industry, the grocery store, the factory is having bake sales and is having fundraisers to support the baseline operation. They would just simply close. Right. We know we cannot simply close. If we close, the the, the loss of services in our community equals poor healthcare outcomes up to and including death. Right. That's what happens when right. hospitals rule, hospitals close. So mm-hmm. knowing currently that it costs more to provide the service than we're reimbursed, we know the model has to change. Right. Now, someone may say, Rachel, well, how do the big cities do it? You know, there's hospitals in big cities in Indiana and other places that have money on Wall Street. And they have lots of money, right?
0: Billions on yeah, Wall they Street. Yeah, lots. Nonprofit health systems yeah. that have billions of on dollars Wall on Wall Street. That's disturbing. A, that's another. In Minnesota, yeah. it's another episode. Be with a
1: billion, right? Like billion, right? And right. and they have like waterfalls billion. at one
0: point more than the state of Indiana yeah. had in surplus.
1: Yeah. Just Insert saying. no, but they have waterfalls in there. Okay, that's great. But look at it; their payer mix is much different than rural America. Rule America is primarily comprised of the working poor, the indigent, and the elderly. And what we find is in cases like Hillsdale, 70% of our payer mix, those people that pay for our services, are government payers, Medicaid and Medicare. Commercial insurance is not even on the double digit list. Okay? And here we find ourselves in much different position than the big systems find themselves. Because we are serving that population that historically is underinsured because they do not have a health care right. product for which we get reimbursed to cover the cost. So, for example, in many modalities, when a Medicaid patient comes through my doors, it is a loss for the organization. So how do you make that up, Rachel? If, if, the, if the percentage was small... And your law, if you're talking about a five percent population of Medicaid, like some larger, you know, communities have, uh, that have a great commercial right. insurance, you can absorb that cost. But when it was your primary right. provider and payer, it is it's you have to find money somewhere else. So the the presentation that we received was the the concept of th- this is why it needs to change. No other business, right. no other industry, no other service can provide a service to the customer that is less than they're paying and purchasing the product for, but we do. And at some point it has to end.
0: Yeah, and the, and the point that, um, that I, I like the analogy that Harold used of the fire department is not being paid based on how many fires they put out. They're paid to be there so that they're available, trained, ready to go when the fire starts. Absolutely. And with healthcare we're not in that position, especially in rural. And, and I think we really need to have Harold back on if, if, he's, if he's willing to um, talk about more about the patient-centered payment model that he's proposed and, and what all goes into that, but it is designed to fix that mm-hmm. problem. Um, but, you know, I, I think that is a good analogy a lot of times, and, and, and you've heard me say this before, and people who listen to the show have heard me say this before, the fact that we expect, healthcare, hospitals in particular, to operate under free market economics when we actually don't live in a free market for healthcare because we are told by the government, literally the opposite of the definition of free market economics is that the government tells you what you can and cannot get paid. Right. So the fact that we expect hospitals to be told what they get paid, particularly rural hospitals to be told what they get paid by the government and are somehow shocked that, oh my gosh, all these rural hospitals have closed. Of course they have. Yes. Why are we surprised by that? We shouldn't be surprised by that. And we should be, you know, as, as a country, we should be more concerned with that. But is it not morally wrong mm-hmm. for our government and for private payers? Because well, the other thing we learned from Harold that I had never considered, just thinking about, Hillsdale and even the other hospital that I've worked at, Harold shared with us that a lot of the rural hospitals that we, that in this country, that struggle, the private payers are their problem. It's not Medicare and no. Medicaid. For us, Medicare and Medicaid is the biggest problem because they're the, they're the biggest, biggest chunk, chunk of yeah, our patients. Right, right, right. But some of these hospitals, even smaller than us, what they're getting paid by the private payers is absolutely morally wrong. It is not covering up to their cost. And so no wonder we're seeing closure after closure after closure. And for big hospital systems, that's not necessarily a bad thing, because for them, that means consolidation, which means better covered lives in terms of their numbers, which means more negotiation, which is also why, which again, I never really fully thought this thought through. But as soon as Harold said it, I was like, well, duh, of course. The big health systems are making more for the services they provide than we are from the private payers. So they might pay, this is completely made up number, obviously, but for a blood draw, they might pay us $15 and they pay some big health system $20. So now we're adding insult to injury. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, the other thing that we maybe have not talked about yet on this show is that while hospitals, including the big systems right now, are struggling financially, um, like historic financial challenges in healthcare, the private payers, the insurance companies, are booking record profits.
1: <laughs> you think, Rachel? Something is have wrong. You, have you with opened this up
0: picture a you know? Becker's report, right, to see
1: who some of the richest uh, leaders on the board yeah, are? Yeah, their their wealthiest
0: CEOs in healthcare list or whatever. Um, I they're think you have to get down CEOs. to like seventy five or something before you get to someone who actually is involved in a is it healthcare, healthcare system in delivery of services. Healthcare. Yeah. Absolutely. Right Now some of them are tech companies and um, you know, pharma companies it. and whatever that are in yep. a different, a totally different um ball game and and situation. But it's totally sick that a lot of those in the top 10, 20, they're insurance companies.
1: Absolutely. And so, and so let let's consider a few things from what you've said. Number one, um, someone says to me, Will you just tell? The commercial insurance company, in this particular case, they tell telling me what I need to tell Blue Cross Blue Shield that they're going to pay me. And I said to this person, really, have you ever been involved in a negotiation ever in your life? Right. Because right. you don't go in with that kind this of This is not Harold
0: we're talking about, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, no no, 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 This is another conversation, because no,
0: Harold did suggest we need to start talking about it publicly, yeah. rural hospitals, but no, we'll no, get to but that I had in a some, second.
1: I had someone who told me that I should go in demand from the insurance company uh, that they that they pay us more, and that we're not going to accept it now, I have no bargaining authority, right. but but Rachel, what if what if the rural hospitals in America got together and said, "Huh, much like bargaining units and unions work, huh mm-hmm. there's strength in numbers, right? It may not be Hillsdale numbers, and it may not be even Michigan numbers, but there's strength in rural America in the Mm -hmm. rural hospitals who all have a division of that product. What if, just what if these hospitals were to assemble together state by state in a national basis and have a conversation about what could we do differently to position ourselves? So a greater conversation with the community, a greater conversation with stakeholders, a greater Mm -hmm. conversation with fellow CEOs of hospitals, Uh, historically, big systems have not ever found themselves in the position that we're in today. Right. Now, ironically, they're elevating themselves now because they're having significant financial losses Welcome and to are the scratching club, their head. Everybody. Welcome to our club. Yeah. When when an economy is headed in the direction of, you know, potential um, downfall um, and people lose their jobs and they get on Medicaid. They and, lose their and insurance. Yeah, their They lose insurance. their insurance. They get a state payer, then the big system starts scratching their head because now they're no longer talking about a four or five percent. Now it's becoming a significant millstone for them, right. And so now they're elevating the conversation. But what if, just what if the bargaining authority for um, for for primary when we look at let's just talk about commercial insurance, what if the rural hospitals came together? What are your thoughts on that, Rachel?
0: Well, um, I think we take it uh, one step further instead of a what if. I am proposing, and I've already proposed to you, that we work on an effort to come up with some level of letter or commitment or message to the world, including private payers and the federal government. That we get every single rural hospital in the United States of America to sign their name to to say, yep, this is not acceptable because absolutely for one, you know, I think from a from a PR perspective, we have to get attention around the issue. This can't be back channeling closed door conversations. This has to be very public to say what's happening is morally wrong. What is produced by rural America so that the rest of America can function? Right. Think of agriculture. Rural America feeds the rest of America. Yes. Yet we are not willing to pay them what it costs for their hospitals to provide them health care. It's ridiculous. So absolutely. What I would like to do is to put together and, and you know, it'd be great to work with a couple or, or several, however many different rural hospitals to try to craft a a message and a some love some letter uh, or something that we can all sign on to individually not just as you know because we have our associations which as you all know we love our associations they're amazing michigan yes. hospital association they're, they're michigan center for rural health and national yeah. rural health association amazing we love them we also know that there is another element of comprehension mm-hmm. and understanding and sense of urgency that our lawmakers get when they hear from us directly as boots on the ground. And that's part of why we started this podcast in particular was because while our associations are doing an excellent job carrying our message and carrying our interests forward, there's also a need for that message to come from the perspective of a rural hospital. So I would like for anyone who is listening to this that is part of a rural hospital And if, you know, if you want to be involved in trying to come up with a way that we can all band together as hospitals, as rural hospitals, not just as an association, but as like every single one of us put our check mark, we put our John Hancock to this, right? Like the constitution um, to say, this is not okay. We are going to pursue a solution and you're going to be a part of the solution. And if you don't want to be a part of the solution, we're going to keep talking about it. Yeah, we have to, you know, so I would say if if you're part of a rural hospital and you're listening to this and you want to be involved in that effort and that process, um, we're going to do it. Yeah, please reach out to us. You can email me at our lot at hillsdalehospital.com because I would love to to get some folks together who are passionate about this and want to help lead the way. Because, well, you know, it's not like I'm going to get on the phone and call all I mean, I will if I have to call all 1600 rural hospitals in the United States. But if we can, you know, kind of get a task force together. To get this message moving forward. Agree. I think this is the the focus on we are getting paid less than what it costs us to provide patient care. That is the is the zeroing in on what is the most important, crystal clear message that we can get across. And it's that. And yeah. thank you to Harold for putting this forward in the way that he did. Yes. Because it has made it so much easier for us to narrow our focus when it comes to advocating for rural hospitals to get to the root of the problem. Not all these side programs and grants. We love all of those things too, but we can't be expected to beg, borrow, and steal so that farmers have health care, so that the elderly who live out in the country where they were born and raised and live their entire life have health care, where young people who are trying to reinvigorate the rural communities they live in and small business owners are not able to get the health care they need.
1: Or, Rachel, consider this we serve a community here where we have the Amish population who do not have yes. vehicles. Yes,
0: right. We right. have
1: to care for every human life in this community, in our catchment of services, uh, in the service area that we have. And, and we have to, you know, when you talk about a moral dilemma, this is why it's a moral dilemma. We have individuals in our community that cannot physically travel because of their condition, or they lack the wherewithal to own a vehicle to travel. Right. Right. It is a moral crisis Mm -hmm. in rural America Mm -hmm. right now that we're experiencing, and we must do something. So I I absolutely agree with you. If there is a CEO listening, a COO, I don't care what your level is, C-suite, whatever it is, and you're listening to this podcast, I charge you that we have to join forces together. It is our only last-ditch effort to save our community hospitals. Scott Becker has been on this program. Others have been on this program. We've had the the originator of the original study that talked right. about hospital closures that we're talking about uh, in that conversation. And the reality of it is hospitals will continue to close unless we find a viable solution. When those hospitals close in those respective communities, healthcare is gone forever. It never returns. We know that. Hospitals don't reinvigorate. They turn to to nasty areas of the community typically where they're where they're tearing the hospital down ten years later, or there's they're turned into to to homeless shelters or drug places. Or We've a parking lot. It. Across America. They don't mm-hmm. reinvigorate. They do not come back. Right. And so when you lose it, it is gone forever. There's no temporary suspension of it. And so we are fighting to sustain healthcare like we have never fought before. We are begging, borrowing, and pleading uh, with with uh, our community to have fundraisers, and it's most inappropriate, and we must lean on those individuals who are responsible for the lack of proper payment to sustain this healthcare model. They need to be held accountable, and I know that's not pretty, especially as I go into negotiations with healthcare uh, payers right now that it's hard to hear that. But it's hard to watch executive pay climbing uh, double digits while poor Americans in rural communities are lacking healthcare services and their hospitals are at risk of closing. It's unacceptable.
0: And with that, I will once again reiterate, if you want to be involved in, uh, you know, some sort of task force that we can put together to drive this conversation, reach out to me directly. My email is r, as in Rachel, Lott, L-O-T-T, at HillsdaleHospital.com. The time is now. Thank you for joining us for today's mini If you have a topic or issue you want us to cover on a future mini shoot us an email at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com. You can also find Hillsdale Hospital on Facebook and Instagram.
1: And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO, JJ. Rachel's at Rule Health Rach. And you can also follow our podcast at Rule Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong.
0: Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.